What is up? Welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Life Podcast. I am Marcus Grant, joined by Dwayne McFarlane, and it is early in the week. This is when Dwayne emerges from the bunker after having written the utilization report. And Dwayne, you pop your head out, and lo and behold, it seems like half the league has switched places at this point. The, the trade deadline has come and gone in the NFL, and a whole lot of faces in new places. So how much how much does that change everything you have done in the last you know, 24 well, to 36 hours? Fortunately, we had this thing last night called Halloween. So I reached out to uh, my friend Jordan and let him know I'll probably be a little bit late on the utilization report tomorrow because I'm going to hang out with the family. Jordan being the cool guy that he is. So that's fine. And also in my mind, I was thinking it might give me a little bit of time just in case this stuff starts breaking. You know, a lot of times this ends up just being nothing, right? But it was something <laughs> definitely today. So I was kind of <laughs> glad that it took me. It, it's still, it's still, uh, I, I wasn't able to react quickly quickly enough to the Naheem Hines stuff. Jordan had to go cut that later. He had he had to cut the James Cook. You know, I had James Cook in the utilization report. He had to get an axe late. But other than that, I think I worked it all in. So it worked wow. out good, Marcus. <laughs> That's that is thank God amazing. for Halloween. Right, thank goodness for Halloween. Yeah, I uh, I was out with the kid, you know, kind of walking the streets and and collecting candy, most of which I sifted through myself to see what I like. It's <laughs> the leftovers. Um, but yeah, a, a according to Adam Schefter, a record. 10 trades were made on Tuesday before the NFL's trading deadline. And we're going to talk about some of those. We'll talk about the utilization report as well, which is up and active at fantasylife.com. So be sure to go check that out as well. So let's, but let's, let's just dive into this because uh, there were so many trades made and a good number of them are relevant to fantasy football. One of the first ones of the day on Tuesday, TJ Hawkinson goes from the Detroit Lions to the Minnesota Vikings. A little bit of a surprise there that the Lions would make that deal in the division. I sort of joke that it's everybody else in the NFC North teaming up to make sure that the Packers just can't win the division again. But uh, with Hawkinson, my immediate thought was that there's not much change in what his outlook is. I mean, he's a guy who's sort of a secondary target, was in Detroit, will be in Minnesota. He's got, you know, a kind of a fair to middling quarterback, only from Jared Goff to Kirk Cousins. You know, I think it's a nice move for the Vikings football-wise, but fantasy-wise, Dwayne, I don't necessarily see a big upgrade or downgrade for TJ Hawkinson. Yeah, I think you're dead on with this. Um, you know, Hawkinson just... He's not really shown us to be an elite talent anyway. And I think that shows in what the Lions, you know, they spent a first round pick on the guy and they're moving on. Um, I think it's also an indicator that, you know, they love what they have. And we'll talk about the Lions here more in a second. But to your point around Hawkinson, I think this is a neutral move. I think if we were trying to pick a positive, it would be the fact that the Vikings have shown to be a pass, you know, aggressive team. They're really passing above the NFL average in all game scripts, whether they're leading, whether they're close, whether they're trailing, doesn't matter. They're, they've shown an, a, a willingness to continue to try to attack. They throw the ball quite a bit on first downs. So those are some positive things because the Lions, if they could ever get things to go their way, which I don't know that they will because their defense you know, is so terrible, they really want to run the ball more. But they get forced into these big passing games because they have to try to play catch up. And so I think all things equal, it's a more stable environment for Hawkinson. Um, and he, he could, he could maybe challenge to be the number two there, right? Adam Thielen's taking a step back. KJ Osborne really isn't anything. Um, so I mean, there's a chance he, he ends up as the number two guy, but to your point, like he's, he's a secondary or tertiary target, right? He's not going to be the main guy. You left him on raw, the, the sun God, the, the, the target hog to land with maybe one of the biggest target hogs, like, you know, on the planet and Justin Jefferson, and <laughs> that isn't going to change. I think this is good for Kirk Cousins though, um, because really Irv Smith hadn't proven to be much and he just can't stay healthy. So now at least, you know, for Kirk cousins, you've got three solid weapons in the passing game and Dalvin cooks a good weapon in the passing game as well. We haven't seen him used that way this year. And you kind of have that rule of three working for you. Anytime you've got three solid weapons in the passing game, it's really hard even for a good defense to shut you down. So I think Kirk cousins is the biggest winner from the trade Marcus. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know what your thoughts are on the Detroit side, but I think it's probably swift because a lot of times tight ends, and running backs are, are kind of vying for the same looks. TJ Hawkins wasn't a big down the field threat. He was fine. He could stretch the seam occasionally, but mostly working underneath the same place that DeAndre Swift works. So I think this could be a little bit of a bump for Swift. Amon Ra is going to keep doing Amon Ra things. I think it's also kind of a hat tip that Jamison Williams will be back before long, right? And he's, you know, the next two to three weeks, maybe four weeks, we could see him, you know, back in the game. You know, we've seen Josh Reynolds play okay, but I think the passing game will revolve really in the end 
around Amon Ross St. Brown and eventually Jamison Williams. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I thought for a second, you know, what does this mean for, say, a Josh Reynolds? But you're, to your point that, you know, Hawkinson and Reynolds aren't doing nearly the same type of things in that offense. So I don't know that it right. changes much for him. So maybe two guys who are already seeing a large target share just continue to increase that a little bit, which it could help a little short term for Reynolds. But I think right. at this point, we kind of know what Reynolds is like. He's had multiple chances as a starter. You know, some of these guys, if they're buried on a depth chart, you got to kind of give a break tap and be like, okay. Like if they were stuck behind really good player, it's like the thing when people like used to knock the Ohio State and Alabama receivers to be like, well, his target share in college wasn't like, dude, did you see who he played with? Like every person was like a first round NFL draft pick. Like calm down over there. Um, so, but in this case, this is someone, Josh Reynolds, who's, he's been a starter. He's been a starter multiple times in his career and is not really shown to be someone that could demand a lot of looks. Um, and so I think he's fine. I think he's probably better than what people thought he was, but I, I don't think he's the type of guy that can demand a whole lot more. He's, he's also a tertiary. What would it be if they were the fourth player? We, we, we wouldn't call it, we just continue to call it tertiary Marcus. Or yeah, is there no, another I'm, word that I'm we sure there's use? a word for it, but I, I, you know, <laughs> would have to Google that or something. If there's somebody out there that knows you can, you know, um, <laughs> if our, if, look, if, if Kyle FF recon knows the word yes. to that too, if you want to jump I in and help an us out, we appreciate <laughs> uh so yeah no I, I but i'm with you i think i think mostly it's going to be swift and, and i'm on rock who sort of benefit from from this move here and uh you know we'll see my my along with my albert o sleeper dream dying my irv smith yeah. sleeper dream is also Me being too. put to rest with those are my two favorite sleepers they are both um hey at least we can just put them away now mark yeah exactly don't, <laughs> i don't have to pretend anything anymore. we can just you know <laughs> I don't want to say trash bin, but bottom drawer with the shirts that never get worn anymore. Yeah, but we just don't exactly. want to throw them away quite yet, like all the way. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's 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 kind of where they're going right now. <laughs> uh, news out of Pittsburgh: Chase Claypool gets traded to the Chicago Bears. This comes just after the Bears had traded Roquan Smith to the Baltimore Ravens, and so picks go back and forth. In essence, it ends up being the Bears trading Roquan Smith for Chase Claypool. Once you do all the logistics around it. Claypool is a guy who fell out of favor fairly quickly there in Pittsburgh, had that burst onto the scene as a rookie, sort of faded from there. This year had really fallen out of favor. Now he goes to a team that is in need of pass catchers, but they don't throw the ball a whole lot. So it, this also feels sort of like a wash for Claypool in that, you know, I don't know that the situation improves significantly for him going from Pittsburgh to Chicago. Yeah, I think what he's going to pick up to your point in um, less target competition, because, you know, he's coming from a, a receiver room that's got a target hog in it with Deontay Johnson, also has, you know, George Pickens, who they spent a second round pick on, and Pat Fryermuth was really, you know, uh, you know, a second year tight end that's really on an upward trend as well. I, you know, that helps a little, but then to your point, you land with the Bears, and they are as run-heavy as run-heavy gets. They don't care if they're trailing, if they're leading, if um, you know they're losing. Sorry, they're losing, tied, leading, doesn't matter. They want to throw the ball. I mean, they want to run the ball. Um, and so I think that's a problem for Claypool. However, I guess like the upside would be, because we do see teams change from time to time, right? And we do see them get pushed into a corner sometimes where they have to throw more, I think, in those games we potentially get more upside out of Claypool, right? Because he only has to deal with Darnell Mooney. And there is a chance that Claypool really is maybe the best receiver right now on the Bears. And so I, I, I'm i with you. I tend to think that it's a wash. I think there's a little more upside just because if the situation certainly got tur turned on its head and the Bears were throwing the ball more, he would have less target competition. But I really feel like that's his only path. Again, I think the quarterback is the big winner here. We talked about Justin Fields last week, you know, averaging 10 and a half rushing attempts per game over the last four games. That's already enough to put him inside the top 10, top 12 quarterbacks in fantasy football because it's just a cheat code when you can run the ball. However, the big concern, right, the ugly side of Justin Fields was really only on, tar on, on you know, pace for 2,500 passing yards, basically, you know, and like 16 passing touchdowns. That's not good. Um, but now you add Claypool. That loosens things up a little bit, right? I think it gives you a little bit of hope that maybe he could get, you know, on track to where maybe we could get 30, you know, 3,000, 3,500. He won't get there now, but over the rest of the season, right, that could be his pace. And that, when we look at it, like, that's what Jalen Hurts did last year, essentially, and he finished as the QB9. So I think this essentially locks Justin Fields into the top 12, and I think it gives him upside to push into that mid-range QB1 conversation. Also partially because of, and we don't need to rehash, but all of the quarterback disappointments that we've had this year, they're just, there's this big vacancy sitting there right now. So there's some things working in, in Justin Fields' favor, um, but I think he's the big winner of the deal.
if you talk about quarterback disappointments, I was just looking at some things and was shocked to see that Trevor Lawrence was like the QB ten. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, you know, I, yeah, I had to make sure that I had huge duds. I, I had to make sure I had to make sure that I hadn't, you know, selected some sort of filter or some kind of, you know, slicer or something. Like, wow, no, he really is the QB ten right now. That's, <laughs> yep. That's what. Uh, what are your thoughts on um? What about George Pickens now? Do you think he gets a bump from this? Do you think that maybe I think he's he the winner does? Uh, although I I saw it sort of trending that way anyway. Uh, you know, just the change to Kenny Pickett seemed to do a lot for George Pickens' outlook. But now there is less target competition there, so now I think that that sort of opens some things up, and I think. I, I want to believe that it means good things for everybody because you, you talk about Deontay Johnson being a target hog. It hadn't really amounted to much in terms of production. Sure, he was getting more looks, um, but you know his catch rate was down. His, you know everything was was down accordingly because of that. So maybe now you see an increase in targets. Maybe you see more more efficiency uh, out, out of these guys too. So I think this helps everybody there. Maybe in a weird way, it helps Najee Harris too. I'm trying to figure out how exactly, but I just I just <laughs> want it to happen. Yeah, I think Deontay Johnson, all he needs, right, is for the offense to play more efficient. He needs the quarterback to play better. Um, I think this is, I think it definitely helps George Pickens. I think it potentially helps Pat Fryermuth too, um, because those two, there can be some more. And I don't, it's going to be tough for Deontay Johnson to get that much more than what he's already been getting, you know, because you kind of reach a point where once you're at that 25, 30% target share mark, you know, and he's at 27% right now. I know that sounds weird because to your point, like he hasn't done anything with it. Like the, we have a receiver in the National Football League with a 27% target share. That's the wide receiver 36 in PPR. Like that's just weird. Like that doesn't happen very often. Um, so I think he needs the Kenny Pickett improvement. I will say that uh, on, you know, that front, the Steelers have shown a much, you know, a willingness to throw the ball much more now that they've had Pickett under center, um, you know, versus what they were doing with Mitchell Trubisky. So I, I do think it's nice for Pickens. I do think it's nice for Fryermuth. I, I don't know what to say about Najee, man. <laughs> I wish we had good news for, news for Najee folks, but it just feels like one of those years is just going to be a burned year for Najee. Uh, you're just hoping he can cling on to that low end RB2, you know, value like and you're just thankful for it at this point. Yeah, it's just it's it's all bad, and you know now the talk that Jalen Warren's going to get more opportunity. It just it, it does feel like a lost year for for Najee Harris. Uh, other running back news: Naheem Hines is out of Indianapolis. He goes to Buffalo, and we talked about you know, sort of folding up Albert O and Irv Smith and putting them in a drawer for safekeeping. I guess we can sort of do the same for James Cook now that Naheem Hines is in Buffalo. Yeah, yeah, this is not good. Um, because really what we wanted from James Cook, right? The, he was the profile back that was the pass catcher, right? And we had seen the Buffalo Bills show an extreme amount of interest, right? In this, in a, in a player like this, of this profile over the offseason, we thought they had J.D. McKissick signed. For some reason, J.D. McKissick said no. He had a deal signed with the Buffalo Bills, the best team in the NFL, and he went back to Washington. I don't know. You know, Daniel Snyder says he's got dirt on owners. Maybe he has dirt on J.D. McKissick. I don't know, like, how a player, you know, obviously he has strong ties to to probably his teammates there. So um, Chase Edmonds was also another guy that they went after heavily. So, yeah, I, I think James Cook, we had the right reason to be excited about him. And this kind of confirms that. I think James Cook, though, just hasn't shown that he can do what they had hoped. And so they go out and they get Naheem Hines, who fits that role that they want. I think this is an upgrade for Naheem Hines. He had not been utilized really properly, in my opinion, in Indianapolis. He was basically just doing enough to kind of stand in the way of Jonathan Taylor, but was never being fully unlocked. And so now I think you're in a situation where he could take over quite a bit. I think he immediately takes over all the passing down work from, from Devin Singletary. So this is, a, this is a downgrade for Devin Singletary, who really, his value had come from the fact that they were using him more in the passing game because he's still not doing a ton on the ground. It was the catches and the re the receptions that were coming to him that were making him more viable in PPR and half PPR formats. So I think he's going to lose that work to Hines. Um, I think this is good for Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor, I think, now could be your every down back. They did get Zach Moss back, <laughs> you know, as part of the deal. I don't think Zach Moss is scaring anybody, Marcus, uh, as far no. as Jonathan Taylor is concerned. <laughs> No, I mean, we weren't even worried. We weren't worried about him in Buffalo. I don't really see a reason to, to be worried about him in Indianapolis. Uh, real quick, though, you talk about uh, Jonathan Taylor, and I do think he gets a boost. I know it's only been one game with Sam Ellinger, but any worries that maybe those checkdowns aren't going to be there with Ellinger the way they were with Matt Ryan at quarterback? Yeah, I think it'll be okay because overall they want to play a more balanced game. 
Um, and I think they're going to stay more committed to the run game, no matter what the game script now. Um, and I think that ultimately is enough to boost Taylor. And now that the fact that he probably won't be coming off the field on passing downs, like Deion Jackson's not a passing down back. Naheem Hines was a receiver playing running back. That's a big difference. There is no reason on earth right now to take Jonathan Taylor off the field other than trying to protect him because you're just trying to nurse the injury back, right? He did retweak his ankle last weekend, so we'll have to see what happens with the practice reports this week on Taylor. Um, but I, I think this overall, like the move to Ellinger plus this move, like it just makes Jonathan Taylor a guy that if I can go get him right now, Marcus, because someone's scared, they feel they just really screwed up picking in this year. I think James Taylor is probably, I mean, Jonathan Taylor, James, James Taylor would be awesome. <laughs> like playing the guitar for everyone at halftime of the game. But Jonathan Taylor would be the much better running back, <laughs> you know, that you would want in a fantasy trade. And so, yeah, I, I, I love Jonathan Taylor the rest of the way. Just, just got to get healthy is the main thing. Yeah. yeah. No, I think there are probably a lot of managers out there who may be frustrated, maybe struggling and willing to part with, with Jonathan Taylor right now. James Taylor's foot speed to the edge right now is sort of lacking. <laughs> uh, good totally in a lot bad. of other areas, but I think that's one where he's, he's sort of lacking right now. Uh, the Denver Broncos, Miami Dolphins pull off a trade. Bradley Chubb goes from Denver to Miami to help that pass rush there. Part of the deal coming back is Chase Edmonds goes to the Broncos. So, yay, one more running back there. I know Mike Boone is, <laughs> is banged up right now, but Latavius Murray is there. Melvin Gordon is there. Now they're going to have Chase Edmonds there. I, I mean, I was sort of out on this backfield before. I'm completely washing my hands and walking away at this point. Agree. I, yeah, I don't. The only other thing I have to add, I think the biggest downgrade here comes to Melvin Gordon because he had already lost. He had already lost the work inside the five yard line. You see Latavius Murray punching in these touchdowns, and they kind of look similar at this age, you know. And you're kind of like, oh, was that? Oh, no, it wasn't. <laughs> but um, hopefully, you're not having to start either player. Um, that's going to leave Melvin Gordon probably in no man's land because I think Chase Edmonds, they probably want him to take over the passing down work. Now, who knows? He was a throw in and a deal. Maybe he won't be worth anything, but he's a guy that at one point, as recently as this offseason, was kind of was, you know, he got a decent contract. Now he came out and didn't play well, and that got him moved um, from Miami. But I'm with you. It's mostly just gross. It downgrades Gordon because he's probably going to lose the passing down work. He's going to be stuck in no man's land. Can't score touchdowns. Can't catch passes. Latavius Murray's only going to be the short down yardage, you know, early down guy trying to steal some snaps from Gordon. It's just it's really nasty. Yeah, this it's just whatever. It, it, in some ways, it makes it easier. We know just to kind of stay away from it at this point, but it's it's going to be frustrating there. Since we're talking about running backs and the Miami Dolphins, Mike McDaniel is collecting guys that he is familiar with. He brought in Raheem Mostert, who was playing very well for him down there in Miami. And now the Dolphins add Jeff Wilson Jr. in a trade from the San Francisco 49ers. So he brings in another guy who knows the system, can slot in well, and certainly pick up some slack. We know Wilson Dwayne was going to be you know, taking a very much a backseat to Christian McCaffrey, especially after CMC pulls the touchdown trifecta last week uh, against the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, does he get a boost here? How how much of a uh, rotation do you see coming potentially with Raheem Mostert in Miami? I think the biggest news here is it's a downgrade for Raheem Mostert um, because you know it's very clear you know now with the trade and the way we had seen the utilization for the last few weeks for Chase Edmonds that the coaching staff was just completely out on him. We know they won't be completely out on Jeff Wilson. Um, I don't know that it'll be something where each player has a specific niche role. I think it will be more of a rotation, and maybe it stays sixty forty. But I think we're probably looking at more of a 50-50 kind of deal. Uh, you know, I could be wrong. You know, don't just go dump, you know, um, Raheem Mostert after hearing me say this. That's more of a hunch right now. Um, but it's just because Edmonds was so bad. At a minimum, Jeff Wilson's going to carve out more of a role than what Edmonds had. You know, so that that's an immediate downgrade to Mostert. Worst case, it ends up more of a 50-50 or we get the the dreaded hot hand. We hear the hot hand approach, right? We don't want to hear that. So I think it is the downgrade. It's a slight upgrade for Wilson just because he was just went from previously being buried behind Christian McCaffrey and also having Elijah Mitchell working his way back. Plus, you still have uh, Tyrion Davis Price on the roster. There was just a lot of mouths, you know, there in San Francisco, and they've just shown a real willingness outside of CMC to keep that a rotation. Whereas if Raheem Mostert goes down now, I think he has a very clear line of sight to being the number one back who could score quite a few touchdowns on an offense that's shown us that can be very explosive. So I think as an upgrade for Wilson downgrade for Mostert slide upgrade for, I mean, Elijah Mitchell now would clearly be the handcuff, you know, mm -hmm. to CMC. 
but TDP would probably still be involved in a scenario like that. So he gets a small upgrade, you know, as well. TDP is really only still like a deep league stash. You know, Elijah Mitchell's probably should be rostered in most leagues once we know he's off IR. Someone once said that 49ers running backs are sort of like Pokemon. Like if you get one, you got to catch them all. You got to collect them all just because you never know where they're going to go. Although I guess at this point, Christian McCaffrey is sort of the the, the one yeah. true king. Well, and even the back. problem with that was even when you collected them all, you still never knew which one to start. That's true. <laughs> changed from week to week. But yeah, that's all settled now. CMC Very true. dominated last week in utilization. Like Man, he was back. I mean, he was true every down back. I mean, this is an upgrade for him because now he's he's getting the same every down role, but he's in an offense that can score points, right? And has other playmakers around him. So. Yeah, I was talking to somebody, and you know, if you had told us before the season that halfway through the year Christian McCaffrey was going to be in San Francisco, I think he would have been the undisputed 1.01 across fantasy, hands down. I don't think there would have been a question about it. Um, speaking of, though, Christian McCaffrey, he is on a bye this week. A lot of top running backs are on a bye. you got the Browns, Cowboys, Broncos, Giants, Steelers, and Niners all off this week. So people are going to be very short at running back. We'll dive into that when we get to the utilization report. But real quick, one other trade of note. Calvin Ridley goes to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, he is not going to play this year. He is suspended indefinitely through at least this season. We'll see what happens next year. So this is more of a long-term, probably more of a dynasty-type approach. But, look, I, I look at this, Dwayne. The, the Jaguars are trying to put help around Trevor Lawrence. And he has been up and down this year, but they go out and they spend big to bring in Christian Kirk. Now they get Calvin Ridley, hoping that he can come back and look like the player he was in Atlanta you know, this this feels like a big boost potentially for Trevor Lawrence heading into 2023 if, presuming, uh, Ridley's able to come back and play. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Christian Kirk's played pretty good this year, but I still think that Calvin Ridley will be the best wide receiver overall on that team next year, um, assuming everything goes, you know, fine from a health perspective and all those kind of things. But why wouldn't they? Like, he's not having to play. He's not getting hurt. So, yeah, I feel good about Calvin Ridley long-term. Feel good about, uh, you know, this outlook for Trevor Lawrence. I think you're hitting the nail on the head with that. Um, I think, obviously, you know, the other two guys, like, I can't remember what Zay Jones signed for, but it, it won't matter. He'll be, he'll obviously be behind Ridley. Um, and then I think Marvin Jones is done after this season. So, uh, but he, like Zay Jones as your wide receiver three with Calvin Ridley and Christian Kirk as your one and your two and Evan Ingram, who knows what they'll do with him. You know, he was on a one-year deal as well. But yeah, it's, I think it's a positive, you know, for Trevor Lawrence. And, you know, I think it's probably a positive for Calvin Ridley as well. I mean, at least for now, because he's leaving a team that didn't want to throw the ball at all. Could you imagine <laughs> if we had to worry about Calvin Ridley plus Drake London plus Kyle Pitts and an offense that wants to hand the ball off 50 times to player to running backs that no one can, that no one, no one can name. If you walked up <laughs> on the street, no one can name the running backs that are getting these carries averaging three yards, you know, per attempt in the Falcons offense, but that's where they continue to go with half of their touches. Are you telling me you're not making space on your roster for Caleb Huntley? I'm, I'm uh, shocked. At this yeah. Point. Well, <laughs> no. Hopefully, hopefully Coral Patterson comes back next week. He should be back really soon. That's right. I, I will say this, though, for people who are short on running backs, Tyler Algier, it's a good matchup this week. So one last hurrah, potentially, if you just need a stopgap for the week is, is, you know, that's potentially a name to, to, think, to take a look at. All right, let's pivot to the utilization report, which always is a good read. And, you know, uh, even had some edits because of the trade deadline. We're able to get a lot of those things in there. But yeah, name you can mark off the list right up top. <laughs> there you go. So like James Cook, we've talked about. Uh, he was one that, that I know you were big on stashing, but I guess not so much anymore <laughs> with Naeem no Hines more. there in Buffalo. But let's let's get to Damian Pierce, who has continued to get a steady workload. I mean, Lovey Smith has been true to his word when he says we want him to get the ball you know, about 20 times a game. And Houston has stuck to that regardless of the game script. And he has the look of a guy that really could be a nice add to a lot of rosters, especially if you've got some playoff aspirations, could really be that nice that nice piece to kind of get you over the hump, especially in the fantasy postseason. Yeah, so with Damian Pierce, he's one of these guys that, you know, I normally have a, a section called buy low, um, but really this is a buy high because you know whoever has Damian Pierce, especially if they drafted Damian Pierce, and they took him in like round six of a draft, they're very happy that they were right. Not only are they getting fantasy production, they were right on their six round pick. That's a hard thing to acquire. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend that it's going to be easy to go get Damian Pierce. It is a buy high scenario, but I think you could be buying him at his floor. You already mentioned the first part. We've talked about this before, but he's dominating the rushing attempts, 77%. 
So if you're not going to be involved in the passing game, the path to still being viable is you need like 75, 80% of the rushing attempts. And he's getting that. That's a Jonathan Taylor type, type scenario. That is a Derrick Henry type workload. But guess what? He took over 100%, Marcus, of the two-minute offense last week. We were a week early. You know, we talked about it coming out of the bye in week six that, well, you know, we've, we've seen this in the past. These guys will expand their role after the bye week. And what happened in week seven was interesting. Rex Burkhead lost the passing down role to Daria Ogunbuwale. And so Rex Burkhead lost the passing down role over the bye week somehow, but it wasn't yet Damian Pierce, but this last week it was. And so I know it's only one data point, but I think you have to move swiftly on a piece of information like this. Number one, you had Damian Pierce only score 14.1 fantasy points last week. So the week before, he was 15.7. He had really been on a huge roll before that. Now, those aren't bad scores whenever you've got so many players injured. Those are still fine. Fantasy managers can live with a 15.7 and a 14.1. But what it could have been was 25 points. <laughs> so if he keeps this passing down roll and he's in the two-minute offense, it's really huge. So this last weekend, he had his second highest snap rate of 78%, and he had his biggest route participation of the season at 59%. And remember, the Texans are a team that trail a lot. So if they happen to get pushed into games, now they, they try to remain run heavy even when they're trailing and they like to still get the ball to Damian Pierce, which is good. But what this does is it insulates him. It insulates him that if they do get pushed into these games where they're trailing 28 to nothing, which could happen to the Texans, if he's out there for the two-minute offense, those are the scenarios, folks, where you see Austin Eckler sitting there in your fantasy you know, uh, lineup. And you're like, man, Austin Eckler's only got 13 points, and there's like three minutes left in the game. And all of a sudden, you look up, you're like, wow, Austin Eckler has 27 points. You know, <laughs> he catches like five balls on one drive, and he scores a touchdown. And so it's going to give Damian Pierce that kind of upside. If he takes over this two-minute roll, He's going to be a top six running back the rest of the way. And I will guarantee you, no one is talking about this. Like I have, I've watched for it on Twitter. I saved it. I didn't even put it on Twitter. I saved it for this show um, because we want to take care of the good people, Marcus. Um, and so I'm super <laughs> excited about Damian Pierce. If you can go get him buy high, if you pay that low end RB two or that low end or sorry, high end RB two price tag, which is his floor. Let's say he loses this next week. We come back on right. Well, just kidding. He doesn't have the two minute offense. We thought maybe he did, he doesn't, and it's gone. One, he could still get it back. But number two, his, you're still buying him at his floor, which is a high-end RB2, right? Because they're so committed to giving the ball on the ground. Oh, by the way, the Texans run the ball the second most inside the five-yard line uh, in the NFL, and all of those touches go to Damian Pierce. So he's, he's scoring the touchdowns, but now he's going to have the opportunity to catch the passes. And if you're, it's one of these things, if you're right, the ceiling is so high, and if you're wrong, the floor is still fine. Do anything you can to go get Damian Pierce would be my advice. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I keep going, coming back to how, you know, first we, we loved him as sort of a late round, uh, kind of a sleeper guy. Then the, the, the hype got out and we were like, maybe he's going too high. But it turns out that, that it was just right for where Damian Pierce got drafted with what he's done so far this season. Um, any thought that, you know, with Brandon Cooks not getting moved from Houston, does that have any impact in your mind on on what happens with Damian Pierce? No, I think it's honestly good because it at least keeps the offense viable. You need a weapon. You know, you need at least something that the opposing team respects, right, so that you can have a chance to score some points in a game. We know the Texans aren't going to be a top-scoring offense, but we need them to be good enough to occasionally be down inside the five to give the touchdown opportunities to, to Damian Pierce. Like, we don't – even though it could mean additional volume, like what you probably lose and the fact that the quality of your offense goes down – um, I like the fact for the sake of, you know, Pierce that we had Brandon cook stay put. All right. So there it is. Um, Antonio Gibson kind of getting some work the last week or two. I've, I sort of look at the Washington backfield kind of the way I look at this Denver backfield. There's a lot of guys there in an offense that doesn't score a whole lot of points. It's just sort of a mess. But after last week, you feel like Gibson is a, a sell high. Explain why. Yeah. So Gibson, let me say this. Um, I love Gibson as a talent. I really do. And so there's always outs for talent. We talk about that on the show a lot. And so you don't want to just give him away for anything. I think he's still the best running back. I think he's the best running back on the commanders. I, I mm -hmm. don't, but the coaches don't agree. They spent the draft pick on Robinson who, since he's been back has led the way in rushing attempts every single week. They continue to give all the passing down work to JD McKissick. And so it's kind of been a weird thing with Gibson. It's his talent, honestly, on very few opportunities. He's been able to come through in week seven and week eight with 16.7 and 20.7 fantasy points. 
And so a lot of owners, you know, or managers in your league, they'll see that and they're hurting at running back. And that's all they're going to care about is that he could potentially give them some points. They see a player that might be on the rise. Like that's another trend. Like you'll be like, Oh, 6.9 PPR points to 8.3, 16.7, 20.7, all aboard going to score 50 points next week. Um, so with Gibson, like it's just one of these guys, again, I like him, but it's just too crowded. The only hope for him, honestly, was a trade today. Now the other hope would be you get, an injury, you know, to one of the other backs. We don't want to wish injury on anyone else. The biggest one would be JD McKissick mm-hmm. because if McKissick went down, he would then get all of the passing down work and he would still be sharing some of that early down work with Brian Robinson. But unless that happens, he's not going to be able to continue to score 17 and 21 fantasy points per game that he's, he's out kicking his coverage big, big, big time. Like his utilization was the exact same like two and three weeks before that. And you didn't want him near your fantasy lineup. So this is just one of those weird variance things whereas talent's enough to come through on certain weeks, but you're never going to feel great about Antonio Gibson, you know, being in your lineup. Look, there's always the chance that they just change their mind and go back to Gibson over Robinson. But my gut says that it's still going to be some sort of rotation no matter what. So if you can sell high, then you go ahead and do it. But again, don't give him away. We don't ever give away talented players, but I do think, you know, if you can get what you, something you need for your roster, then I would absolutely do it. I, I agree on the talent profile. This is a guy that I've loved and I've always been frustrated with how they used him in Washington. And I also agree that I don't think any one of these three guys is going to take a significant enough of a step back that you feel good about using either of the other two. So it just may be time. You're right. It'd be nice if we could free Antonio Gibson. We should, we should go on Twitter and we should start campaigns to trade all the guys that we love who seem to be in bad situations and try to get him to uh, try to get those players to other situations. Are we feeling that way about Damian Harris now that Ramondre Stevenson seems to be taking over in the New England backfield? And I know we've been excited about Stevenson Seasonson. Do we do we cons- do we have concerns about Damian Harris and what his usage is now? Yeah, for Harris, you know, before we had had the injury to the hamstring, um, he was really at least still the lead early down back. Right, we had seen him get fifty four percent, fifty five percent of the rushing attempts. And it was really Ramondre coming on, taking over on passing downs and getting like he was the, you know, he'd get the other rushing attempts since he's been back from the injury. And you kind of discount week seven because, you know, I mean, this is a this was an injury that was seen pretty severe. Now, the Patriots do this all the time, like a guy that could miss multiple weeks. And then all of a sudden he was a game time decision the very next game, which was week six. Now, he did miss that game came back in week seven. He probably really wasn't a game time decision in week six, probably still pretty limited in week seven, but week eight, he was off the injury report early in the week. And so we assume the full practices and everything, he was probably a full go in week eight. And we saw his rushing attempts only get to 34%. So it does appear that Ramondre Stevenson is not overtaken, is not only taken over all of the passing down work. He's also now the primary ball carrier for the New England Patriots, which just doesn't leave a lot of outs, you know, for Damian Harris, his outs now are going to be scoring touchdowns. And there's an opportunity for that. He took 67% of the short down and distance work last week, um, which often translates to the carries inside the five, but Ramondre Stevenson's also been really good in those scenarios as well. So I don't necessarily think that he's just going to take that role over. It's really going to depend more on luck. Like Damian Harris, I could see him Marcus getting like every third drive, still rotating off on passing downs, but getting to come back in for his drive. Um, and if he happens to be out there, and the Patriots get the the ball down inside the five, you could get lucky and score a touchdown. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to be pretty frustrated, I think, with Damian Harris. So I've got him as a, a mid-range RB3 now. He used to be you know, a high-end RB3, low-end RB2, but he's really trending towards RB4 territory. Um, I, I do these things in phases. So next week, if we don't see him like revert back a little bit closer to what we had seen before um, the injury, then I'm going to move him down into RB4 territory, which is essentially... Guy, those are guys usually you're only starting like when there's extremely good matchups or they're going to move up in a scenario where a teammate is hurt um, or you just got to squeeze them in for a bye week. But, but you're really not typically wanting to put those guys in your lineups because they're running back fours, right? That's the way they profile. And so there's usually always going to be a receiver that would be a better option in your flex than that. So once you reach that territory, it's like for the most part, you're not a starter anymore on most weeks in fantasy. And I feel like what you said about Damian Harris is to some extent, the concerns we had about him coming into the season that, you know, everybody thought Stevenson was going to take a lot of that passing down work. And that was why he kind of became the the hot name to have out of the Patriots offense. And that 
Damian Harris was not going to have the same touchdown upside that he did last year. It was really hard to imagine that he could duplicate that. Um, I don't think we we imagined him dropping all the way to RB4 territory, but I think that's sort yeah. of what it is unless something changes in terms of his usage uh, in the next week or two. Looking at wide receivers, Rondale Moore, still viable. I mean, I, we, I know we're still waiting for Marquise Brown to come back. So until that happens, Rondale Moore still in a good spot to get some occasional usage for fantasy managers. Yeah, I think he's more than that. Um, honestly, I think he's played really well. Um, 95% route participation over the last four weeks. That's despite the return of AJ Green and the addition of Robbie Anderson. He's the number two right now. Um, and we've got a wide range of outcomes on when we're going to see Marquise Brown back. Like, depending on how his foot heals, it could be week 12, but it could be week 16. So this could be quite a while. And it's still a young player, only in his second year. And we finally, this last week, Marcus saw what we loved about Rondell Moore coming out of college, a great run after the catch player. He had one of those classic uh, getting tackled, you know, where the player's trying to hold onto your shirt and the shirt stretches <laughs> out like it's completely elastic until it just pops. And then the player takes off like, you know, like a you know, like he's just slingshot. Uh, that that was Rondell Moore. He had a play like that. That's how he scored his touchdown. So he came up with a big play. Um, yeah. And right now, yes, the, the target hog is obviously DeAndre Hopkins. But behind him, it's we've got an offense that trails all the time. You know, the Cardinals have trailed by four more points on 75% of their plays this year. So there's plenty of passing to go around. And so that means Rondell Moore and Zach Ertz are going to be viable. When Marquise Brown comes back, it will squeeze him. But again, we just don't know. It could be quite a while before we see Brown back. And with a young ascending player like this, we never you never want to say no anyway, right? It, all of a sudden, if the Cardinals offense just really gets going, there could be room for Rondell Moore just through efficiency. Um, so I like to bet on young talent. I do believe Rondell Moore is a guy that should be rostered like in every single league for whatever reason, like he's still available in quite a few Yahoo leagues. Um, so he's a guy that, you know, if you're listening to this, you know, late, your waiver wire is probably already run. Just go check. Make sure Rondell Moore isn't available on the wire. If he is, you know, you don't even have to use your fab. You just go grab him, you know, add him to the team. But I, I look at him as a wide receiver three um, with with wide receiver two upside on a weekly basis until we get Marquise Brown back. Yeah, those are the those are the best kind of ads, right? When waivers have already run and there's just a guy just hanging out there and you can just snag him <laughs> without having to give up. Those don't happen ad. very much in the leagues I'm they in. Don't, but I am envious and I'm happy but... for the for for the listeners where it does happen to them. <laughs> exactly. But you know, we're we're out here trying to spread good feelings. But yeah, when you can just do that without giving up any fab or having to use a waiver priority claim, uh, those are those are the absolute best ones. Let's talk about a couple of, of Carolina Panthers because it's been nice to see DJ Moore kind of come back into our lives. Had the huge game last week. Yeah, we'll, we'll leave the whole helmet thing aside with what happened with DJ Moore, but the production was great two weeks in a row for him. And then Terrace Marshall Jr., which I feel like the Obi-Wan Kenobi gif, that's a name I've not heard <laughs> in a long time, Terrace Marshall yeah. Jr. But stepping up and filling a void now that Robbie Anderson is gone and they're trying to find new guys. I mean, one, DJ Moore, I think, has become a guy that, that you really do have to give him strong lineup consideration each and every week. But now Terrace Marshall, I mean, we're talking about him as a potential waiver wire guy in the weeks to come. Yeah, I mean, we can touch on more next, but I like hitting Marshall because he's a guy that very likely you could be listening to this and your waivers have already run and he's still going to be available. He's only rostered in 1% of leagues. Right. So that means basically you've got to be playing like, you know, a 20 teamer for him to be gone right now. And so a lot of you are probably playing in 12, 10 team leagues where even once the waiver wire runs, there's probably going to be some people add like a Demarcus Robinson or something like that over a Terrace Marshall. And I think that's the wrong move because Marshall is a second round pick last season, um, NFL draft pick out of LSU, a guy that a lot of people liked. Early last season, he was getting the playing time. He was getting the targets. It was not turning into a lot for him. Then he got the concussion in week, se in week seven. He missed the next two games. And then when he came back, he had kind of lost his role. And then he didn't really get any, he didn't kind of get going in again until the end of the year. But it's a young player. And we talked earlier, like, you know, you don't necessarily want to invest in players that you've seen have a lot of opportunity um, because they probably are what they are. We have not seen Terrace Marshall with a lot of opportunity yet. You know, so who knows what all was going on behind the scenes. Maybe he did some dumb stuff that got himself benched. No clue what was going on with him and the coaches. But now the last two games, man, 96% and 95% route participation with Robbie Anderson gone. We also have CMC, a target hog out of the backfield gone. And so if PJ Walker can just be above average, we just need PJ Walker to not be horrible. You know, I think sometimes, honestly, we overrate how important 
a good quarterback is to fantasy performances, it obviously helps. You want the upside of the big touchdowns and all those things, but you can support one to two weapons with just an above average quarterback, even, I mean, a below average quarterback. Even if you wanted to say a quarterback that's borderline bad, but not terrible, you can't be Baker, right? You cannot be <laughs> Baker Mayfield. That's the thing you have to avoid. And PJ Walker's done that so far for the last two games. We got the first 300 plus yard passing game, you know, for the Panthers. Um, and a big part of that would, you know, we'll talk about in a minute was to DJ Moore. But this is the kind of talent I want to bet on, Marcus. Like, I want this over Van Jefferson. I want this over um, a Khalif Raymond. Um, I want to pick up a guy like Terrace Marshall. There's a lot of names, like if you're playing in deeper leagues, that are going to be in consideration with Terrace Marshall. But I think this gives you the the best upside of number one. A lot of those players are going to be potentially getting benched when starters come back. This is a player that probably is in a starting role and they want to see what they have for the rest of the year. He's got the second round draft capital and he's also playing well. 26% target share this last game. So he came up with 12.7 fantasy points. A lot of those passes were not catchable. So he and PJ Walker are going to get, they're going to have to work right to get on the same page. But I really love Terrace Marshall. Like I, I think he should be rostered and he should be rostered in almost all 12 team leagues. I would say. Um, 10 team league starts getting a little bit more dicey depending on what your roster looks like. But if you've got anybody that doesn't check the box of rest of the season role and has upside because they're a young player, then I would trade them out for Terrace Marshall. Everything when you talk about all those other guys that, you know, he's sort of in competition with when you talk about waiver wire picks, I think the, the big difference is he really does have more of a path to targets than some of the other guys you talk about. You talk about a Van Jefferson and, just the state of the Rams offense, you know, as long as Cooper Cup is healthy, it's going to be hard for Van Jefferson to see consistent targets. I think for Cleef Raymond, sort of the same situation. It's going to be hard for him to see consistent targets. When you look at the Panthers, it's DJ Moore, and then it's a big who who knows right after that. You know, like you <laughs> a big Christian. who knows. There's it's not a huge who knows, right? I mean, LaVisca Chenault, we can maybe at one point we'll get out of the bottom drawer and we'll unfold him. You know, <laughs> we'll, we'll put <laughs> right. him back on a hanger, Marcus. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But right now, I mean, Terrace Marshall Jr. looks like he has a real opportunity. I mean, we, we talk every week about earning targets. He has a real opportunity to go out and earn targets in this offense. And you know, I'm just with I'm with you. I'm I'm excited about what I've seen out of PJ Walker. Not not in the sense of I want him on my fantasy roster, but in, in the sense of what he means for this offense, for the passing game down there in Carolina. It just gives them a, a whole new shot in the arm, which seems like a perfect way to segue to DJ Moore because he has gotten, you know, a little bit of that that Captain America super serum, it seems, with PJ Walker there at quarterback, two weeks in a row of having big games. Last week a huge game, over 150 yards, a touchdown there. And I've been saying the last two weeks, DJ Moore is not going to be probably what you thought when you drafted him. But I think going forward, he's going to be a lot better than he has been for the first month, six weeks of the season. Yeah, I think we still have questions to your point about Carolina's offense. Like, I think, you know, neither neither you nor I have blinders on that. Oh, my God, it's just going to be a great offense now. But we've at least seen that you know, it could maybe just be okay, like what we talked about. You just need okay quarterback play, and we've got a very condensed target tree. So, I mean, I know splits can be a tricky thing, especially in small samples. We talk about this all the time on here. But guess what? This is how it goes in fantasy. Like, we're dealing with small samples. Like, you can either decide to act on them or you don't. I still lean towards acting on them. They don't always end up being right. But it's, I feel like it's something that in this scenario, it makes sense to look at the splits, right? The first six games, you've got Baker Mayfield as your quarterback. The first six games, you've got Robbie Anderson lining up opposite you. And you also have Christian McCaffrey lining up in the backfield. His target share was 24, 24%, which is still good. 24% target share is really good whenever you have other players around you that are good. However, when you look at his last two games, that target share number has gone to 38%, Marcus. So 38% target share can also go a long way when your offense isn't playing that great, because if you're getting almost, if you're getting like almost half of the work, like you could still come through, there's a lot of outs and he's a talented player. He can still do things after the catch. Um, he's a guy that can score from anywhere on the field. And he's not as great of a ball tracker, you know, but he can beat you over the top. He's not like a big contested win guy, but he's very good on run after the catch. Right. And so if you take a wrong angle on DJ Moore, he can score on you from anywhere on the field. So I like that aspect. The other thing, and this really ties back more to Baker Mayfield, over the first six games, Marcus, catchable targets, 57%. That's 19 percentage points below the NFL average. And this is for a guy without a huge A dot. Like, if you look at a guy and you're like, I'll see some people throw out stats, they're like, oh, man, his catch rate's like 55%. And I'm like, dude, his A dot's 20. 
Like the further <laughs> right. a guy gets down the field, the more contested catches you get, number one, because the safety's there to help the cornerback. A lot of times you're throwing into two, co- you got two coverage players. Um, and then also the accuracy goes down from the quarterback the further you get away from the quarterback. So this is a scenario, though, where a guy that's, you know, with an, with an average depth of target that is, you know, right there in the mid range, you know, you're talking about 10, he's on most games, he's 9, 10, 11, 12 yards. And so to see him 19 percentage points below the NFL average says a lot about he and Baker Mayfield and the, their lack of chemistry over the last two games with PJ Walker. Again, sa- small sample size alert, but 76% mm. catchable targets, which is right in line with the NFL average. So if you get a player that's gone from a 24% target share to a 38% and their catchable, you know, target rate has gone from 57% to 76%, who cares if it regresses? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, it's going to be a positive, like it's going to be really hard for this to not be a positive for DJ Moore. I think he's back in the low end wide receiver two conversation. He's got 27.5 and 19.6 fantasy points in PPR formats over the last two games. You can feel far more confident about him. Um, if you're on a loaded roster and you want to think of him as your wide receiver three and you want to put him in as wide receiver three because you want him to earn it, then you do it. You tell DJ Moore, you let him know, like you're earning your spot on this roster. But man, I think he is in a much, much better situation. It's cool how quickly things can change. It's what makes fantasy so fun, Marcus. Exactly. We, we need to talk about it's a week to week game, you know, and everybody wants these long sample sizes. Sometimes it really is just week to week. And sometimes it's just one change here or there that that makes a difference, which seems like a good way to get into the Washington Commanders and Terry McLaurin. No Carson Wentz. It's Taylor Heineke. Is Taylor Heineke good for Terry McLaurin? Should we should we ask that maybe Carson Wentz just take a sabbatical for the rest of the year to help our Terry McLaurin shares across fantasy leagues? Yeah, I think with McLaurin, it's probably you got a couple of things going on. And this is true with DJ Moore, too. Um, but I mean, this is just a player that we know is really good. And he had a bad start to the season. But it does appear that there is more chemistry at this point with him and Heineke. He's got he has set um, season highs and target shares over the last two games: twenty six percent in week seven, twenty nine percent in week eight. And so it's good to see from McLaurin. We know he's a really good player. He also now leads the team in yards per route run at one point seven four. He's a guy that's usually around the two mark, which is really good. That typically is you know means good things to come for receivers, but this is his mark was really low. Like over these last two games, he's kind of been, he's kind of been like, you know, sometimes with my son, I'm like, man, you got to watch that GPA. You don't want to be stuck trying to repair that thing. You know, it can take a while to get it back up, you know, but (laughs) 1.74, he's starting to move it and the the yards per route run back in the right direction. So yeah, I think it looks really good for McLaurin. I'm looking at him, you know, he's back in the low end wide receiver two conversation, high end wide receiver three, not quite where we have DJ, not quite as, you know, confident as we are with DJ Moore, but, you know, close, like close for Terry McLaurin. Yeah, and it, again, this was another guy that was underwhelming, but I think we all looked at it as it's not really his fault. The quarterback play has been frustrating around McLaurin. Plus, we, yeah. we'd also seen the emergence of other guys. We, Jahan Dotson early in the year, Curtis Samuel. It's just, there were a lot of factors, but if we can get McLaurin back, that, that's certainly going to help a whole lot of rosters. Garrett Wilson started really well. Kind of went into hibernation, it seemed, for a couple of weeks. Then came back with a really good game last week. And, I mean, I don't know what to make of Zach Wilson as a quarterback. I, I certainly think Jets fans are frustrated. I, I've seen Elliot uh, Christ's tweets <laughs> about Zach Wilson <laughs> over the last couple of weeks. But it does seem like he and Garrett Wilson seem to have a thing going, much to the chagrin of Elijah Moore and probably a lot of Jets fans out there. But at least for us, our, our selfish fantasy needs. Garrett Wilson, uh, can we feel more confident in him week to week now? Well, I think there's a couple things going on. Um, number one, Zach Wilson's not good. Um, so that, that's going to that's gonna remain a challenge. It's just, it is. But what we saw this last week was that they actually could be forced out of their run-heavy nature. So the, the Jets, have they've played really good defense. They've played in matchups where it worked out that they weren't getting blown out. And with Zach Wilson at quarterback, they showed us that they really wanted to just make him drive the bus. They didn't want to, and when you watch him play, you see why. Because he's a turnover waiting to happen. Every play. Not just some plays. Every play, this man is a risk to turn the ball over. And I think ultimately that's going to be what ends up working in Garrett Wilson's favor, funny enough. Because what Zach Wilson did show us this last weekend is if they get cornered into a game where they need to throw, which happened, he can actually come through. He threw for three hundred fifty over 350 yards. 355 and two touchdowns. Now, it wasn't necessarily pretty. But when they were in that scenario, it worked. And for Garrett Wilson, you know, with him, you just have, you know, Elijah Moore's in the doghouse. 
Um, he did not get traded today, so there's always an opportunity for Elijah Moore to. He's a talented player. Uh, I, I don't get the Jets. Denzel Mims, you could have traded him. No, we'll, we'll just we're just going to hold him and we're going to not play him. We're we're not even we're not even going to have him active on game days. That's a better use of Denzel Mims. You had people wanting to trade for Denzel Mims in the offseason. You could have got something for him, but no, you didn't. And so there's a risk with Elijah Moore that the same thing's going to happen. They're going to put him in the doghouse. They're not going to let him play. And they're going to end up getting nothing for him. Like, they probably could have got something really nice at the trade deadline today. I have no clue what they were offered. But they're a very frustrating team. But back to Garrett Wilson. All roads lead to Garrett Wilson. 88% and 98% route participation over the last two weeks. They like him. He's an early first-round pick. He's locked in as the number one. Like, he's not going to be leaving the field, even when Corey Davis comes back from the shoulder injury. And he's the best player on the Jets anyway. He's the best player on the Jets, period, right now. Garrett Wilson is. Leads the team in target share, 21%. Um, his targets per route run, he also leads the team at 22%. He has a 1.76 yards per route run with bad quarterback play. That's impressive. Those all point to signs that Garrett Wilson's a really good, you know, he's really good at football. That's what all those things tell us historically. And even once Corey Davis returns, like his targets per route run, like just kind of level set since he's been hurt. I won't use target share. That's not fair to him. But only a 14% when he's been out there. Um, so Garrett Wilson is the lead guy. He's now getting enough routes and he's also an explosive playmaker. So he's a guy that, you know, he's funny enough, like still available Marcus in 48% of Yahoo leagues right now. Mm. Like, so like if he's available, like you gotta be all in and remember talent. We want the young players that have talent and now are in full-time, full-time roles. Garrett Wilson fits that, fits that mold. Um, he would be the top guy if he's available, you know, and you, and you're having to be looking at your waiver wire, but Terrace Marshall is another guy that kind of fits that. I love having these kind of guys on my roster over some of the other names that you're probably looking at on the waiver wire. Right. I mean, young, talented guys who are, I mean, we've said it before, young, talented guys who are in situations where they have lots of opportunity, that that is generally what you want. And I know that sometimes we, we get caught with the muscle memory of just names that we're familiar with or names we remember. I know that that is a trap that a lot of folks fall into. Sometimes it's good to retrain your brain. And, a little and bit. Wilson, you know, he's he's gone in a lot of leagues. Like he's another buy low guy. Like I know he had seventeen and a half points last weekend in a PPR, but before that, you mentioned he had kind of been in hibernation: six and a half, one point eight, five point seven, six point one. You know, so I mean, the, he's he's not going to be an immovable ob- object. You know, from another you know owner's perspective, like he's a piece that you could probably get potentially thrown in a, in a deal. So just, I love keeping names like that in mind. Um, anytime I'm thinking about trade scenarios. Right. Let's get a couple of tight ends real quick. Tyler Higby, who for my money had been one of two usable pieces for the Rams, Cooper cup, obviously being the other one you were downgrading him. Is that, is that because Allen Robinson might be coming to life? What's the reason? <laughs> we can hope we can hope <laughs> coming to life. Man, it's just been bad for Higby. Uh, you know, he briefly left that game with a neck injury, but he was he was out there on the last drive. You know, he wasn't gone for a long time. Played sixty nine percent of the snaps, but his route participation, Marcus, hit a season low of thirty seven percent. I mean, so he stayed in the block on twenty four percent of the time he was out there on a passing play. That is bad. Um, what that tells us is that something we already know: the Rams' offensive line is terrible. You know, we've talked about Matthew Stafford and how, you know, the defensive uh, players, it seems like he would go to do, he would like, you know, run a play action, you know, fake. And like the defender wouldn't even pause for the play action. They just kept (laughs) running towards Matthew Stafford. So what does that mean? That means a guy like Tyler Higby has got to stay in and block the other tight ends they have on their roster. They're not blocking tight ends. So they can't bring another guy in and then put Higby out into space and let him, you know, work from the slot or anything. He's the best blocking tight end they have. And now he is in tight end jail because of that. And they have to make up for the woes of the offensive line. So he downgrades to a, he downgrades to a mid-range tight end too. I don't really think you can have him in your lineups until we see something change. Um, and we did not see a trade, at least th- that I saw come across You know, mm-hmm. today. I didn't check in the last few minutes other than I was mainly watching for like the receivers, running backs, quarterbacks. They need offensive linemen and they don't have any. And so I think this is probably a season-long problem for Tyler Higby. I do think the potential uh, thing that that does is give Allen Robinson more targets to your point, Marcus. Like, I, I don't know how much they're going to be worth because the Rams offense is not playing well, but I do think this opens up the, the opportunity for him to be the number two behind Cooper cup. And maybe, and we saw Allen Robinson get a season high. I nearly put him in the article this week, but I wanted to see one more week because he's, you know, he's, you know, he's hurt us. He's hurt us. So he's going <laughs> to have to earn his way back in, but 
there is a chance that he could be more of a 23, 25% target share guy, assuming he's not just completely washed. Watching that Rams game and their run game was non-existent to the point that you saw them trying so many different things, a lot of screens, a lot of jet sweeps, just something to try to manufacture a running game. And I think that had a lot to do also with why Higby was so involved as, as a blocker just to try to get anything going manufactured. And, and you know, they did not move Cam Akers. So who knows what happens with him? But you're right. That offensive line is probably the the main crux of the issue in Los Angeles. Greg Dulcich, we've talked about him a few times. He's been pretty solid since coming off of injured reserve. Immediately jumped in and earned a large role. Broncos are on a bye this week, but I would feel like if for people who are thirsty for tight ends, which is pretty much everybody who doesn't have Mark Andrews or Travis <laughs> Kelsey, uh, and you have a spot on your roster, maybe a good guy to stash for the short term. Yeah, and, and with Dulcich, he is on bye. The Broncos are on bye this week, so he's, he's a little bit less immediate help and more of... He could be your tight end one, though. Like, if you don't have one of those top guys, like Greg Dulcich is at the top of my list. We just talked about um, Garrett Wilson. We just talked about Terrace Marshall. Greg Dulcich fits the same kind of thing. You know, not quite the draft capital they have, but clearly a guy the Broncos valued when they took him. They've just thrust him straight into a starting role. And he's got this unknown upside. Um, also, similar to those other two guys we just talked about, not in a great offense. So, I mean, you could take that for what it's worth, but the talent is definitely there. The the route participation is definitely there. He saw a season high 91% last week. He has back-to-back 20-plus percent target share games. Um, yards per route run at 1.96. That is elite for a tight end, especially a young one like he is. All the signs point to the fact that Greg Dulcich can play ball. Now, whether or not he can score a ton of fantasy points, I don't know, but I, I, I moved him into low-end tight end one status. And I remember when he... F- first was going to come onto the scene and we immediately moved him to high end tight end two status. And people are kind of like, man, are you sure? And I'm like, look, a lot of this first ranking of him has to do with the rest. We already know what the rest of the tight ends are to your point, Marcus, you, you know what the name, you know who the names are that you like. And then after that, you know, there's a lot of names that you're like, well, maybe, maybe they could hit one week or the other. This guy's actually played well for three weeks and the arrow is pointing up. So for Dulcich, I like him a lot. I think he has to be a low end tight end one, and I think he has tight I think he has, you know, mid-range tight end one upside. Like we could look up and be like, "Wow, this is the tight end 7 the rest of the way because there's not a lot of other competition um and he's just played so well. Like the talent profile looks really strong right now. Still available in 58% of Yahoo leagues as of this recording. And I look at Dulcich and I feel like the when I when I talk about Albert O and him not not hitting this year. I feel like the the process, the thought process was right, at least about yeah. it, because he was an athletic tight end. Russ, during his time in, in Seattle, tried to use the tight end a lot. They just couldn't keep anybody healthy, which is why you could never really count on a Seahawks tight end. But it was something that he wanted to do and wanted to get involved. We just picked the wrong guy. We picked Albert Okuyabunam instead of Greg Dulcich. But at least the process, the idea of it was right. So the end result might have been a little bit different than what we anticipated, but we at least had that. We were on the right track uh, trying to get to the end there. Um, Last couple of minutes before we get out of here, I I actually tweeted about the uh, 2019 draft class from uh, a couple of years ago that we are uh, a couple or 2021. Actually, let me get my years right. 2021 draft class from a couple of years ago that we are. Still very much in the formative uh, years of, but guys like Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, who we haven't really seen much of, no one has really grabbed the reins as being front and center. I would suspect Justin Fields is the best of this group, but a year and a half into this draft class now, how do you feel about what you've seen from these guys? Yeah, I think from a fantasy perspective, it is Fields. Then I would say it's Lawrence. You know, after that, Trey Lance, we don't know. We haven't seen. So I would still rank him ahead of Zach Wilson, though. You know, I think I've seen enough from Zach Wilson to know that he's going to frustrate too many coaches. He's got a lot of things to fix. So they've got the draft capital tied up there right now, but there will be a move away from Zach Wilson, I would think, within the next year. They may give it one more year um, because they they spent the high draft pick. But he has a lot of things. Now, he could still change. He could still improve. He's a young player, but... Last year was really bad, and this year looks just as bad. Like, folks have seen enough, right? You've seen the throws back across the body into the middle of the field. Um, And some people can do that. Josh Allen can do that. He has a cannon. You know, Patrick Mahomes can do that. They are elite players, and they've shown that you can break the mold and you can do that. So, you know, I'm not trying to bash on, you know, Wilson for those things, but he also can't even get a ball all the way out of bounds. That ends up being a pick. You know, you're just trying to throw it away, and you still throw a pick. So it's, 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 
problem after problem with Wilson. So I would safely put him at the bottom. That'd be my thought, Marcus. I think from a fantasy perspective, Fields is definitely the number one. He's trending to be the number one, getting very involved in, you know, the design rushing game, like we talked about, you know, last week, averaging the 10 and a half rushing attempts per game. Has a lot of questions still as a passer. Um, but he's so good on the ground, like you can use him for fantasy. My guess is Trey Lance is also that at a minimum, but we just haven't seen him be able to stay healthy. I think Trey Lance is probably very similar to what we are hope, what we think we have with Justin Fields right now. But, uh, the, the injury, you know, has, has kept us from seeing that. So I would still rank him ahead of Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence. Like he's the toughest one because people were so high on him. Like people like, I mean, people were talking about like Andrew Luck. You know, like this is really the best prospect we had had in the last 10 years at quarterback. And so anytime you have something like that, it makes it, you know, harder to adjust right to the new world, the the new reality when your priors were so high. And so I lean into a lot of other people for a lot of my college, for a lot of my college, you know, information that watch all the games, they watch the film. Now I'm still grinding the data and trying to look at those things, but he did a lot, he did, he did a not, he did a lot of nice things on both fronts. And like, so while he didn't necessarily look like as a, the best prospect in 10 years to me in the information that I, you know, in the data that I look at, like he still looked like a really good prospect. Mm-hmm. And so to see him kind of just settling in almost more like a game manager, like, I don't know, my brain's still struggling with it. Um, I, I feel better about him than I do with Zach Wilson's cause he's not making yeah. like the, the, the big, you know, boneheaded plays, right. Killing his team. So there's still this chance for him to stay on the field because if you're not doing that, you get a chance to stay out there and you get a chance to keep proving yourself. If you start just making the team lose, right, that's where the coaching staff can really lose patience. No, I'm with you there. I, I do think Fields is number one. I like Lawrence behind him. Um, Wilson down the list. I struggle with where I think I would play- go Lance number two, even on the unknown, just sitting here thinking through it. All right. Because I think I've seen enough from, from Lawrence now mm-hmm. to say he's probably not elite. It, it could okay. still end up being wrong, but I think he's probably an average NFL quarterback. Lance could be a complete bust, but on the other hand, he could also still be elite, right? right. And he could, and, and and at a minimum, even if he's not a good passing quarterback, he could still be really good just based on the fact that he can run as I long mean, as he's healthy. I so. think the the thought was this year, had he stayed healthy, the the hope was he could be sort of what Jalen Hurts was last yes. year, that that guy who's still raw I, as a passer but could give you enough on the ground that fantasy-wise, at least he was viable week in and week out until the 49ers sort of figured out what he was. And so I think that's going to be the hope next year as well. Just hope he comes back healthy and is, and is ready to go. But he's going to have the pieces around him to certainly be productive. Mac Jones is the one that I feel like I'm, I'm having trouble oh, pegging. Yeah. I just, because, why did not even say Mac Jones? Yeah, you know, because, I, I mean, because like sometimes it's like, okay, this guy looks like he has a clue back there. And some weeks it's like, what, what are you looking at? And that's why we keep seeing Bailey Zappi show up every once in a while and, and get some snaps. He's the guy that I think is maybe the, the biggest enigma in this whole group because the variance is so wide with him every single week. Yeah. And it's also tough because the Patriots are just not good at putting playmakers around their guys. Mm-hmm. You know, they just do some weird stuff. They were cracking. It's cracking me up. We had a lot of teams calling about Kendrick Bourne, but we decided to keep him. No, you made a terrible <laughs> signing and gave Kendrick Bourne too much money. And this is you trying to save face by multiple teams calling. You mean two and by them, Asking about him, what they were asking is if you were just going to cut him so that they wouldn't sign like J.J. Arcega <laughs> Whiteside or something. They could sign Kendrick Borden, Bourne instead. Um, but like this is a team that's just struggled to put the weapons around Mac Jones. Mac Jones also playing with that high ankle sprain still. I, I would put him ahead of Zach Wilson, probably, you know, just below Trevor Lawrence. But I, I think there's a chance Mac Jones is better than Trevor Lawrence. Like that wouldn't surprise me. I wouldn't make, I wouldn't say that's a, a prediction, you know, that I'm making, but it, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me because we've seen some good things from Mac Jones. Um, it's tough to grade him with the injury and with the weapons that he's had, you know, around him. Yeah. Well, this is obviously not closed by any mean. I mean, we're not closing the book on these guys by any stretch of the imagination. It is a, a year and a half that we have seen some of these guys, maybe not even that yeah. long for, for some of them as well. So there's still and plenty of evaluation. Look, I thought I didn't think Josh Allen was going to be good after year one. Yeah. I thought he would be fine for fantasy. We, if, if we went back in time and we had a time capsule and you and I were sitting here talking, I would have probably talked about Josh Allen. Like I just did about Justin Fields. I'd have been like, you know what? No clue what he's going to be as a passer, but he runs the ball. And That's you good wouldn't enough. Have been alone. 
but we would be like, God, can he stay on the field? The turnover-worthy plays. Everybody's seen the dub- the throw into double coverage to a yeah. fullback down the field. Like, you know, I mean, there were a lot of bad things. And his accuracy was so, so bad. Um, I would have never thought that Josh Allen, and I, and look, most people didn't. I, I know Bill's Mafia, you did, because you guys, you know, you, you, you bleed, you know, blue and red, and, and you would never doubt it. <laughs> but people that are not from Buffalo, 95% of them thought that Josh Allen, I would, I would venture to say like 98% of people never thought Josh Allen would be what he is today. So I just throw that out there because there's a range of outcomes on these things. Like, and we could be wrong. Like we could, we could be talking in two years from now and be like, man, did you, can you believe what Zach Wilson did? I don't think it's likely, mm-hmm. but it could happen. Hey, look, and I'll let you in on a dirty little secret. I know some Bills fans who will privately admit they didn't think Josh Allen was going to turn into this. That on draft day, they were hoping for, I know one Bills fan who said he was hoping for Josh Rosen <laughs> over Josh yeah. Allen. So, yeah. you know, Ooh. sometimes the best decisions are the ones Man. you don't make, you know? So that is yeah, a tell so, of two Josh's right there. Exactly. Wow. Absolutely. Josh Rosen. There's a blast from the past. So then we will wait to see exactly what these quarterbacks become uh, down the road and how we're talking about them a couple years from now. In the meantime, Feels like a good place to put this one to rest. We will uh, take a pause for a couple of days and we'll come back at you later on in the week as we get ready for rankings and get ready to tackle week nine. So as always, we appreciate you listening. Go and check out the utilization report over at fantasylife.com. Be sure to check out all the tools there and sign up for the newsletter if you haven't already. Plenty of good stuff. Join the community. Be part of our Discord as well. Plenty of good chats. Uh, a lot of good information flying back and forth and a lot of really good conversations happening over there at Discord. So in the meantime, that will do it for this edition of the Fantasy Life Podcast. For Dwayne, I am Marcus. We appreciate you listening. Enjoy the week. We'll talk to you again real soon.